I'm Josh Escobedo with Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Scott Hervey of Weintraub Tobin. To say that Jerry West, the former head coach and GM of the Los Angeles Lakers, dislikes the way he is portrayed in the HBO series Winning Time is an absolute understatement. West calls his portrayal false and defamatory, and he has publicly called for a retraction and an apology. What would West's defamation case look like if he sued HBO, and what would be his chance at prevailing? We're going to talk about this on the next installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Recently, HBO released its new drama series, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. It's based on the book Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s by Jeff Perlman. Wow, that's a long title. Apparently, Jerry West is quite upset at his depiction in the series. Now, I have not yet seen the series, but West's attorney calls his depiction false and defamatory. In a letter to HBO, West's lawyer claims that Winning Time falsely and cruelly portrays West as an out-of-control, intoxicated wage alcoholic. West's lawyers claim that the producers have committed the torts of false light invasion of privacy by creating a false impression about Mr. West that is highly offensive and injurious to his reputation, and that they also have defamed West by attributing acts of rage to him that he never committed. Now, West has a lot of people in his corner claiming that his portrayal in Winning Time is inaccurate, and this includes former players Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Cooper, and Jamal Wilkes, as well as various Laker employees who worked with West during the time period covered in Winning Time. As you may remember, Olivia de Havilland advanced a false light claim in her lawsuit against FX Networks over her portrayal in the FX docudrama Feud, Betty and Joan. A false light claim is a type of invasion of privacy claim based on publicity that places a person in the public eye in a false light that would be highly offensive to a reasonable person where the defendant knew or had reason to believe or acted with reckless disregard as to the falsity of the publicized matter and the false light in which the aggrieved person would be placed. A false light is the equivalent of a libel claim and its requirements are the same as a libel claim, including the proof of malice. So in order for West to prevail on both his false light claim and his defamation claim, he would have to demonstrate that his portrayal in winning time included assertions of fact that were actually false or created a false impression about him, which were highly offensive to a reasonable person or defamatory and made with actual malice, meaning that HBO actually knew the statements to be false or that HBO acted in reckless disregard for the falsity of those statements. You may recall, Josh, that the issue of actual malice was discussed by the de Havilland court. The court recognized that feud was fictionalized to a degree and that fiction, by definition, is untrue. So the court said that de, that de Havilland, in order to establish actual malice, must demonstrate that FX either deliberately cast her statements in an equivocal fashion in the hopes of insinuating a defamatory import to the viewer, or that FX knew or acted in reckless disregard of whether its words would be interpreted by the average viewer as defamatory statements of fact. So in the case of winning time to establish actual malice, it seems that West would have to show that HBO deliberately portrayed West uh, in the hopes of insinuating a defamatory import to the viewer 
or that HBO knew or acted in reckless disregard as to whether its portrayal of West would be interpreted by the average viewer as defamatory statements of fact. You know, Scott, as an aside, I've been watching Winning Time, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, but I say that because due to the fact that I've been watching, I've been really tuned into the comments that have been made. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar himself would find that that standard has been met since he calls the show deliberately dishonest and drearily dull. I disagree with the latter and don't have enough information to say anything about the former. But anyway, let's get back to the subject matter at hand. According to the letter from West Lawyer, it seems that the actions that are attributed to West by HBO that are at issue here include that West would have fits in public settings and break and throw objects, that he adamantly opposed the drafting of Magic Johnson, and that he was consistently intoxicated at work. Yeah, in, in reading West's uh, lawyer's letter, that seemed, those seem to be the key um the key issues or at least the uh, key depictions of West that what he takes issue with. Um, so the first thing I think that the court would address is the questioning of whether a reasonable viewer would interpret winning time as an entirely uh, as entirely factual and whether the statements and actions attributed to West would be interpreted by a reasonable viewer as statements of fact. Now, as you may remember, the court in de Havilland noted that viewers are generally familiar with dramatized, facts-based movies and miniseries in which the scenes, conversations, and even characters are fictionalized and imagined. And remember, the Ninth Circuit uh, noted that uh, viewers of docudramas are aware that parts of such programs are more fiction than fact. So the first issue for the court would probably be, be whether the average viewer would assume that winning time is more fiction than fact. Now, the court may choose not to address this and rather may choose to follow um, what the district court did in New York in the Linda Fairstein defamation lawsuit against uh, Netflix over her portrayal in When They See Us um, and, and find that it is reasonable to expect that the average viewer of Winning Time would understand that the dialogue uh, in the dramatization is not a verbatim recounting of the real life participants and is intended to capture the essence of their words and deeds. I think the Fairstein Court's actions and its ruling on the 12B6 motion that was filed by Netflix and the other defendants will be instructive. You may recall in that motion, the defendants claim that the complaint had not plausibly alleged that the depictions of Fairstein were defamatory under New York law. And the court examined the various incidents in Fairstein's depiction, which were allegedly defamatory. That's right, Josh. Uh, I agree. I think the Fairstein case will be a great tool for us to use in guessing how West's claim could play out if he brought one. So you may recall that the Fairstein court found that uh, in looking at the scenes that were alleged to be defamatory. The court found that certain of those scenes uh, merely show routine and prosaic activities that lacked any type of plausible defamatory meaning. And so the court found those not to be uh, defamatory. And then other scenes conveyed the subjective opinions of the producers. And those could not be understood by the average viewer to be a literal recounting of Fairstein's words and actions. So the court also found those scenes to be um, non-actionable. Now, you may also recall that one of the key contentions by Fairstein in her complaint 
was that she was wrongly portrayed as being the lead person in establishing the timeline of the attack in Central Park, and that this depiction was false and defamatory in that it falsely depicts her uh, as, um, as imbuing urgency to the investigation and hastening the interviews of the unaccompanied minors. Uh, Fairstein, or sorry, Netflix urged that this depiction could not be defamatory because it was substantially true. And in deciding whether a statement is substantially true, a court will compare the complaint of language with the alleged truth to determine whether the truth, the actual truth, would have a different effect on the minds of the average reader or viewer. Uh, so let's look at one of the things that West claims to be defamatory, uh, the various depictions of his reaction to the drafting of Magic Johnson. The series portrays West in a scene golfing with Jerry Buss, Bill Shannon, and Frank Mariani while discussing Magic Johnson. West is shown kicking his golf ball and stomping off, yelling with a series of profane statements, uh, indicating that he can't even play the game without them bringing up Magic Johnson and, and him being their draft choice. Uh, Mr. Sharman then says he does this all the time. In the same scene, Mr. Buss suggests Magic Johnson will be good for advertising, and West screams back yet another profanity-filled tirade and then breaks his golf club over his knee. And after Magic Johnson's drafted, West is portrayed as throwing his MVP trophy through his office window in a fit. So what was West's real position on the drafting of Magic Johnson? Well, according to an article in The Wrap that looked at you know, how truthful this scene was, uh, apparently West just wasn't fully convinced that Magic could thrive as a point guard, and he preferred uh, Sidney Moncrief. The article says that went, West went as far as to try to convince Jack Kent Cook, the outgoing owner of the Lakers, not to draft Magic. And for some time, there was a strong belief within the Laker organization that Moncrief would be the next Laker. So, Scott, in comparing his portrayal in winning time around the Magic Johnson drafting with the truth, do you think the truth would have a different effect on the mind of the average viewer? Well, it may not be that simple. Uh, the rap article proposes that maybe these scenes are also used to illustrate West's lifelong battle with depression, mood swings, and perfectionism, which are documented in his own autobiography, My Charmed, Tormented Life. Also, apparently, there is a segment in West's autobiography where he talks about breaking golf clubs on purpose and uh, frequently, by the way. <laughs> and also, he talks about that Pat Riley witnessed West throwing his golf clubs over the fence of the Bel Air Country Club. That's interesting. I can see a strong argument that the complaint of scenes convey both that West opposed Magic's drafting and also exemplified how a perfectionist who also suffers from depression and mood swings would react to a decision he opposed and that he has a penchant for breaking and throwing his golf clubs. Yeah, I can see that too. And one of the questions the court will have to grapple with if this is taken to litigation is whether the producers can take uh, independent facts such as the fact that West was opposed to the drafting of Magic, the fact that West had broken his golf clubs on purpose a number of times and had thrown his golf clubs over the fence of the Bel Air Country Club and dramatized them and combined them in this manner. I can see that being an interesting question for the court to conclude. While all those facts separately are truthful, when you combine them and change them, are they still substantially truthful? 
such as to be a complete defense to a defamation claim. Going back to the Fairstein court, in determining whether a portrayal could be considered a statement of fact rather than a dramatized opinion of the producer, is whether the average viewer would conclude the depiction was based on an undisclosed fact known to the defendants. Now, Winning Time includes a scene where Jerry Buss, speaking directly to the viewers, says, Jerry West, head coach of the Lakers, considered a true gentleman of the sport to everyone who does not know him. West lawyers argue that the scene implies that Winning Time depicts the real Jerry West. Also, in a recent statement to The Hollywood Reporter, HBO was quoted as saying, the HBO has a long history of producing compelling content drawn from actual facts and events that are fictionalized in part for dramatic purposes. Winning Time is not a documentary and has not been presented as such. However, the series and its depictions are based on extensive factual research and reliable sourcing, and HBO stands resolutely behind our talented creators and cast who have brought a dramatization of this epic chapter in basketball history to the screen. So, taking this all into account, when the court considers whether West's portrayal in Winning Time should be considered a statement of fact rather than the dramatized opinion of the producers, I can see the court concluding that the average viewer would believe that the producers based the depiction of West on fact. And then there's the disclaimer at the beginning of Winning Time. Usually this gives the producer some room to claim that a work or parts of a work are dramatized opinion. It looks like HBO is not going to be making that argument and rather will be arguing that West's depiction is a dramatization based on actual facts. With HBO not backing down, Josh, let's see if West actually files suit. And with all indications, or at least based on the statements that he's made uh, to the press recently, it seems like he very well may. And if so, you know, this will be another case to watch. And I think we'll, it will add to the growing kind of, I guess, jurisprudence uh, regarding this type of television show. Yeah, I agree with that, Scott. I mean, and I think it's necessary because it does seem that this type of content is growing in popularity. We're seeing more and more uh, docudramas or, or whatever it may be that's based in fact. We see dramatized portrayals uh, of actual people. Right, fictionalized, right, fictionalized docudramas. And I think it's important for producers to to know the meets and bounds, right? To understand like how far can they go in fictionalizing their characters and actually can they take, I think more importantly, um, with regard to the, the golf clubs and the trophy, like can they take bits and pieces of things that actually happened but did not happen together and combine them in one scene or two uh, to create a more dramatic narrative? Um, that, that I'm, that was going to be an interesting, um, interesting question for the court to answer. And I, I hope that we do get that answer. I, I agree with you. And I think it's important that this area of the law continues to develop. With that said, I do think this is an area of the law that is never going to give a bright line answer. It's always going to be a case by case analysis. And I think that really just underscores the importance of having, uh, savvy representation so they can provide at least some sort of risk assessment. Well, thanks, Josh. I I'm glad that you at least watched uh, uh, watch Winning Time or a little uh, some episodes of Winning Time prior to our covering this. It's definitely on my watch list. Uh, I'm trying to get through a bat backlog of other really good programs, but this one is 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 next on the list. Well, it's definitely worth your time, Scott, and I hope you enjoy it when you get to it. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Josh.
Thanks for tuning in to this installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcast. And for additional content, visit our website at theiplawblog.com. <laughs>